0: Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Eugenio Piri, Chief People and Culture Officer for the Dorchester Collection and True HR Powerhouse. Coming up on today's show, Eugenio reveals what he gets up to on flights.
1: I ended up being in the galley with some of the British Airways
0: employees and we were doing karaoke. Phil shows a penchant for soft furnishings, sitting on the promenade and thinking, my word, how opulent are the curtains. And Eugenio demonstrates that you don't always have to be suited and booted to do a good job. And then
1: I ended up doing the next hour and a half of orientation in a bathrobe in housekeeping while they were drying my clothes.
0: All that and so much more as Eugenio talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some excellent content on business culture. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. In addition, we're extremely proud to be supporting Hospitality Aid 2020 on August 31st. Head over to experience101.co.uk to get involved. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I'm a little bit excited to welcome to the show someone who is a bit of an icon in the hospitality HR world. Also, an author having written a book on leadership, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. At least I certainly want to, as well as many published articles in in the likes of HRVille and HR Magazine and Hotel Executive. That's just to name but three. I'm delighted to welcome to the show Eugenio Perry. Thank you, thank you very much.
1: It's really exciting to be here with you today.
0: Was my uh, was my intro big enough? For <laughs> yeah.
1: <you? laughs> You know, it's always so uncomfortable to hear those things, but uh, I certainly appreciate the kind words. I'll take them for what they are. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> excellent.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, perhaps you can you can tell us what what you do currently. Sure. Uh,
1: well, so again, um, so I'm currently the chief people and culture officer at Dorchester Collection. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Dorchester Collection is a a small company, but we run some of the most luxurious properties in the world, Uh, many of of whom are iconic brands unto themselves. In actual fact, our oldest hotel has uh, more than 180 years old, the very first palace hotel in in Paris called Le Maurice. We have the Beverly Hills Hotel, which was established uh, actually two years before the city of Beverly Hills itself. So we're very lucky to have some amazing properties.
0: Absolutely, no, no question. Notwithstanding the um, the the one that sits oh, in London on, on my doorstep, which I've been lucky enough to indulge in a couple of times. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the what you were know, the one thing I remember actually about my first ever experience at the Dorchester, uh, which wasn't actually for a a food and beverage offering or anything, it was actually to just to meet somebody. Uh, well, hmm. for a coffee, I suppose that was a food and beverage offering. The one thing I remember was sitting on the promenade. And thinking, my word, how opulent are the curtains? <laughs>
1: yeah, we're, we're very lucky. I mean, our hotels, are they're like bathed in luxury. And just to be able to sit in them, as you say, and um, that's part of the experience itself.
0: And uh, we do get a lot of people that
1: just enjoy being there and taking it all in. So yeah. I feel very, very fortunate to be part of that world.
0: Splendid. So, well, you've been there for for a few years. We'll get to that uh, Mm -hmm. at some point. But before that, let's uh, take us all the way back to the the very beginning. Um, How did you get into this industry in the first place and just talk us through your your journey? Sure. Um, Well, I didn't start in hotels.
1: In actual fact, I started at McDonald's. Um, So when I was uh, 15 years old, in actual fact, I was um, in Canada where I, I'm bo- I was born and raised in Canada. And at the time, you couldn't actually get a job that young unless your parents signed a document. My parents very kindly did that. And I got a job as uh, the French fry guy and the filet fish guy. Oh, yeah. First of all, yeah, But I really enjoyed it. And I don't know, it's just something stuck in the whole hospitality world. Within a year, I became a supervisor. And then um, by the time I was 17, I was managing the, the store. Um, and it was amazing. And that sort of You know, geared me towards wanting to study hospitality, which I did. And then um, I started in hotels as a room cleaner. So literally, you know, started uh, making the beds, cleaning the bathrooms, all of that good stuff. And then, you know, fast forward 31 years later, I've worked in 18 different jobs. I've worked in nine different departments. And um, eventually, I found my way into human resources via learning and development, and just loved it. You know, when you get that job and you just realize that this is the job I've always should have had. Yeah, that's exactly what happened to me, and uh, it was like a light bulb moment. And uh, I've been doing HR now for almost twenty five years. It's been a good run.
0: Uh, Which what what brands have you have you worked with?
1: Um so I worked in some Canadian brands Delta Hotels and Canadian Pacific Hotels originally which uh, then became Fairmont Hotels. I worked with Starwood having worked on the Western brand, the Sheraton brand and um I was part of the um, the uh, the team that was 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 part of opening some of the initial W Hotels in America whether that was in LA, Chicago, San Francisco, things along those lines which was amazing. Um and then of course I worked for Pan Pacific which was a Japanese company and then eventually uh came over here started was looking after the Savoy then eventually took over Europe and then one day was sitting at my desk and I got a phone call to join Dorchester Collection so I've had a really nice go and worked in seven different countries and really been really been amazing.
0: Yeah. Well I, I you always get a sense when somebody is um it's just found their calling when you you sit in front mm. front of them. I've been lucky enough to meet you. You may or may not remember that, but um, I think I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, you know, clearly, it it suits you. It, it definitely fits you, and that just comes across in your demeanor, really. And it, you know, it's just about somebody finding their calling, I guess. Mm. I think
1: that's you know, I think when people when that happens to people, it's su- such a, a wonderful thing because you know you think about how much time we spend at work how much uh, it affects even our personal life and to be able to do a job that really allows you to, you know, genuinely make you happy and hopefully be able to, you know, have a positive effect on other people. That's what I feel about my job. So I feel really, really lucky. And it's, and it's fun. I mean, you know, I know there's the administrative part of human resources and all that, but we have a lot of fun and the idea that you're allowing people to have jobs and build their careers and, You know, hospitality is by by nature a social business as well. So, you know, you can really have a good time doing it, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think actually I I remember when I was looking into some of the things that you've written and some of the the things that you've kind of given interviews on, there was one thing that I I saw that that kind of made me smile a little bit. It was in something called The Critic's Guide. I don't know if (laughs) you you remember this, The Seven (laughs) Sins... Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think I mentioned Scotch
1: in that. Yes, you did. Yes, <laughs> that, time, yeah. that was years ago. My goodness. <laughs>
0: the one thing that stood out for me, actually, which is, I think maybe one of the reasons why I, I opted to start doing this podcast was was under the the, the statement of wrath, which mm. was what makes you angry about about hospitality. And and your your point was really around, I suppose, its general reputation as to what kind of job it is. Mm. And that's its one of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast was to try and spread the word that um, it, the, you know, that's absolutely not the case. And it's, you know, there's a much bigger career available to people in many different facets within the industry as well. It's not just about being a waiter or a bartender or, yeah. or whatever. So I many mean, different things you can do.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you think about any given large hotel, there's more than 25 different departments. So imagine yeah. the career paths, you know, and some of those departments have six, seven, eight different roles in them. So your career path can go in so many directions. And, you know, we're still in an industry where, you know, having personality, having a great demeanor um, goes a long way, you know, and your ability to make people feel comfortable, to create amazing guest experiences, employee experiences, whatever you want to call it. And so, you know, you can literally come into this and I I always use myself as an example. You know, I think back to when I was 18 years old, cleaning the rooms, fast forward 30 years and now I'm, you know, the head of, um, you know, a chief people and culture officer and responsible for people all over the globe. You know, this is the type of industry we're in, which is remarkable. The opportunities, the opportunities grow, learn, see different challenges. And of course, you know, hospitality is everywhere in the smallest village up to the largest city. So, you know, yeah. the opportunities are endless.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Actually, uh, something that I find interesting, and maybe you can indulge me a little moment about the role that you have currently, mm. is that your, your title takes you... Uh, Globally, doesn't it? You you cover yeah. all of the, the hotels within the portfolio. How do you take, I suppose, a company culture and then manifest that into the various different country cultures that must exist?
1: I think the key is um, in the word itself, culture, you know, because ultimately for me, the definition of culture is the decisions that are made, uh, especially by your leadership teams, because that essentially dictates the type of environment you're going to work within. Because everything is about a decision, right? You know, we, of course, you set the standards and you set the vision of a company, you set the values of a company, you put it on the right mission in order to achieve that. But ultimately, then it becomes about the decisions people make. And are those decisions based on your values? Are they based on your vision? Are they getting you on the strategic vision that you need to work towards? And I think this is the beauty of when you're trying to think about it on a global perspective in that ensuring your foundation is solid. And the foundation is about truly understanding the vision and what you want to be and the values, so the behaviors ultimately that are going to get you there. And then you have to spend a lot of time, you know, with those senior leaders, ensuring that they're inspiring people to align to those visions, you know, because it's a decision. You know, you can't micromanage every single situation. You can't predict every single situation either, but what you can control, and I don't like that word, but ultimately what you can put, you know, send in the right direction is that idea that people are making decisions that bring you towards that. Yeah. And I think this is the best way to do it. You know, I, it's funny that you mentioned my title um, because I was lucky enough to choose my own title when my, my my CEO came to me and said, you know, you know, we'd like you to grow, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really thought long and hard about my chief people and culture title and i remember when i chose it and i made my you know reasons for it and then it was accepted um i remember i put put it on linkedin and and i even got a message saying i was the first person to ever have such a title and because for me it was always about the people but more importantly it was about the culture that we develop and so it really truly does speak to the role that we have certainly that i have but more importantly you know, what I want to inspire everyone else to be people and culture leaders, that's far more important.
0: No, I I totally and I think there's a a cliche, I I genuinely cannot get through one of these talks without putting a cliche in somewhere. (laughs) So in this circumstance, you know, no doubt your your buildings are, are incredibly beautiful. But yeah, without good people, the buildings and the experience that comes with them would be nothing
1: absolutely you know and this is why you know your brand is so important about how you onboard people how you bring them into the company you know we um we've gone through over the last few years quite a an understanding of what our brand is and what it means to our customers and how we differentiate you know against our competitors and and a lot of this involved interviewing employees but it also a lot involved interviewing guests and I remember um, we we got to be part of some of these interviews, you know, because it's very good for you to hear it firsthand what our, our guests are saying and our employees. Sure, yeah. And I remember we had one guest that we were interviewing inside our hotel, 45 Park Lane. And we said this guest was actually from Australia. So he wasn't actually, um, you know, even local. And he's very loyal to the hotel. And we said to him, well, you know, it's a small hotel. It's only got 45 rooms. So you know, what if you come to London and the hotel is sold out, where would you stay? Because we're constantly wanting to curious. And, you know, he said to us, I just probably wouldn't come to London. I would change my plans. My word. And I think that's a really an amazing statement for someone to say, because that is really what you're trying to do through everything you're doing in your culture is to build that ultimate loyalty where someone who's living in Australia who would fly all the way across the world. If he couldn't stay with us, he would change his plans. Yeah. We had another, I'll just tell you another great, great story on that one, too, because, you know, I love guest stories and I love employee stories. Loyalty is everything. You know, we were interviewing another guest at Coworth Park who also had to fly. Um, We finished the interview and he was set to to fly the next morning to Asia and his flight was at um, 9 a.m., And then as we finished the interview, he said, oh, I got to remember to change my flight. So we were just making kind conversation at that point. And we said, oh, how come you're changing your flight? And he said, well, my flight's at 9 a.m. But Claire at your door doesn't start until 8 a.m. So if I leave, then I won't be able to say goodbye. Oh, wow. So this guest was willing to actually change his flight in order because he had built such a strong bond with one of our employees. Yeah. So it
0: just shows you
1: it's not it's so much more than the physical building. It's about how we make them feel and the relationships that we create.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it, there's th- those are uh, two cracking examples uh, of Thank that you. as well. And I, <laughs> I got and a I million suppose, of them. <laughs> yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> um, the the thing for me is as well because your your marketplace is very very competitive. Mm. So I think for for people to have that kind of I suppose, connection with, with you guys speaks yeah. volumes about, about the work that you're achieving there. Absolutely.
1: You know, and and it really is about that. You know, we, we're a company that, you know, we only have nine hotels. We're building our 10th in Dubai, but we're a company that doesn't have a desire to be 100 hotels. You know, we want to be maybe 15 to 18 hotels maximum because we believe that in order to deliver true Ultimate five star luxury. You need to be small, and you need to be able to ensure that you build the relationships with your guests and the employees and the communities in which you work. and And for us, this is our motto. We know other companies think differently, but as a result, because we're never going to have global mass, these relationships and this loyalty we bring uh, and we try to build and all of those types of things around the importance of our brand are more vital than ever because. Um, it's it's important and uh, those loyal guests we can't afford to lose them absolutely we find it quite interesting actually because you know there's such a trend for like big hotel companies to become even bigger you know they buy brands they take over brands you know there's some brands that have 32 brands within them you know all of those types of things whereas you know and what's been remarkable through that process is it continues to make us more and more unique you know, because we are small, we are ultra high-end luxury, we are very much brand-focused, we are very much loyalty-focused, and it really allows to have a specialized level of service that we feel that other people can't deliver on like we can.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Mm. To slightly uh, divert the subject a little, let's yeah. suppose this is maybe just going back to the point of view, kind of being comfortable in your skin and, and finding your calling. <laughs> Was it at that moment that you felt that – you uh, or more of a a motivation comes out for you to kind of start writing on the topic because uh, i mean yeah you can't you just look at look at any hr publication within any realm and your your name comes up somewhere (laughs) well thank you (laughs) yeah you know the the writing thing came more
1: just um i suppose for a couple of reasons the first came more you know, people have questions and especially companies that seem to be doing a good thing when it comes to culture, people, training, development, people want to know that story. So people started to ask me questions and hence it started with just being interviewed and then articles came and then people asked me to write about it and it sort of came quite naturally. It wasn't the plan to to, to go down that route, but I discovered as you do, you know, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, the book was sort of funny because the book more so on the basis of the different articles and things like that, and it was basically an idea that said, you know, we should take these articles and maybe formulate it into a book, you know, and almost, you know, because I've always believed that you have to have a bit of a framework in mind, so you can't just, you know, go down different roads and, you know, there's no guarantee all the roads are going to lead to the same place. But if you're having to go down different roads on the basis of a framework, eventually they're gonna to have to all you know coincide to get to where you want to go so I'm a big believer in in framework and having a bit of a plan um, and so that's sort of how that came to be but for me i don't I don't for sure profess to be the best h r person out there. I think I do what I do well and it works for my industry and things along those lines and so for me. It was more about wanting to inspire every single person, more so non-HR people or non-people and culture people, to be people people, right? Yeah. And to continue to lead because it doesn't matter if you're a restaurant manager, it doesn't matter if you're in finance, it, you know, it doesn't really matter. We all have teams and we all have a responsibility to motivate our employees to deliver the best they can on and as a result, ensure that we're delivering the best guest experience. So the, the, it was more geared to around around the fact that anyone can be a people leader, just make sure you have a plan, and yeah. that's sort of how that came to be.
0: Yeah, I actually I really like the uh, the opening line on the uh, Amazon synopsis. It <laughs> Says there's a, a a need for a practical, common sense, tongue in cheek approach to people leadership in HR, True. and it was it was the the tongue in cheek element yeah. that I. Weirdly, really connected with because uh, I think a, a lot of the times in in business, and this is not just in in hospitality; it's uh, every sector. Yeah, businesses take themselves far too seriously, and I think um, yeah. you forget about having fun.
1: Yeah, well, but and at the end of the day, you know, people and culture leadership skills are so transferable. And so anybody can do it. I don't think, you know, I think there's natural people that are maybe good speakers and good motivators and all that. I get all of that, you know, and everyone has a unique set of talents and that can be developed, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you know, you've got to also not take yourself so seriously because, you know, you can't go into any situation thinking that your word is the end all. And also you can't go into any situation thinking that every single employee thinks the exact same way. So, you know, be adaptable, have fun with it get people to like get on the ride with you, you know, get on the bus with you and don't take yourself too seriously because at the end of the day, there's going to be serious things to do. But I genuinely believe people want to go to work and enjoy themselves. Yeah. People want to go to work and think they can make friends. People want to go to work and feel that they have a purpose and they're adding meaningful work. Nowhere in it does it say you have to go to work and be a serious you know, person and always just coat the company line. Of course, you want to coat the company line, but it's better and easier to to go down that path if you're enjoying being there in the first place. And so people want to work in an atmosphere that's enjoyable and fun is part of that.
0: Absolutely. I also, well, speaking of fun, I, I get the sense that I've connected with you on a couple of social media channels in the last couple of days. Uh, Just to do that's for my research. I'm not stalking you. Sure, sure. Uh, Don't Mm -hmm. worry. (laughs) (laughs) I get the sense that you you like travel.
1: Oh, my God. I love it. You know, I've been so blessed anyway to have uh, the ability to travel in my job for many years. You know, even before I joined in this job, I was traveling in my last job as well. Yeah, to me, it's amazing. I mean, last year I did um, just over 70 trips. Wow. And probably in in flight miles, I went around the world almost three and a half times. Crikey. So, I mean, I love it. To me, it's uh, – but I, I love every experience of it. I love going to the airport. I'm one of those nerds that goes to the airport like two hours early, and I love the shopping. I like sitting in the – you know, watching people. I like being on the airplane. I mean, I was on a flight to Singapore once and it was an overnight flight. I couldn't sleep. I got up. I ended up being in the galley with some of the British Airways employees and we were doing karaoke. <laughs> I mean, I'm literally, I know, I, think, I, I can only imagine what they think of me. I can only imagine what's on my profile, actually. <laughs> but I, I go there, you know, and I just enjoy it. I have fun. I laugh. And that's the way it needs to be. You know, and I 'cause I believe everyone ultimately, no matter what job they're in, wants to also meet a nice person, hopefully, and also wants to have a good laugh too, right? Yep so yeah i loved it yeah. i mean on that particular flight too god bless them they let me wear the little hat that they wear <laughs> and they let me hand out the menus because i was wearing like a british airway pajamas so you know i had a great
0: flight i could i've got a vision in my head now which um i've got a picture of it on my facebook page yeah. so you know there you go if i ever have the uh, the fortune to meet you again i'll have i'll carry this vision into that meeting yeah yeah there you go um <laughs> so uh, favorite airport from around the world Oh well for me it's probably
1: Vancouver in Canada okay. only because obviously I'm Canadian but I just love that airport I love the statues in there I love the totem poles I love the jade waterfall and it also gives me great memories because I have family there it's where I spent a large portion of my life so that for sure and and of course uh, Rome because I'm just you know I'm I'm, I'm of Italian descent and I just for me, when I get to the Rome airport, it means I'm in Rome, so that makes it really exciting.
0: Yeah, obviously we're um, we're addressing really hard hitting topics uh, on this. <laughs> well, that's okay. I love this kind of
1: interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a hard hitting question for you then, Uh-oh. and you can be as honest or not if you wish. I'd, I'll I'll leave that one with you. But um, have you ever had a verbal or a written warning? Yeah. (laughs) No, of
1: course. Yes, of course I have. (laughs) Um, I I was actually fired from a job when I was like, oh God, eighteen. Right. So um, it was actually a second job because at that particular point I was working a a couple of jobs because I was saving up monies for university and and stuff like that. So I um I I literally got fired because I didn't show up for work and. You know, I'm going to be honest, I didn't show up for work because I went out the, the previous night. Yeah. So, I in. Um, so, and um. yeah, it was quite a surreal experience because, you know, I got fired. I got fired over the telephone too, and almost like in a joking kind of way. And I remember thinking to myself, like, huh. And I remember saying, even at the time, I think if I'm ever in, in HR, I wouldn't fire someone like that. And here, you are, here, here we are. And now I'm in HR, and I can honestly say I've never fired somebody over the telephone. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a moment. But yeah, listen, I mean, you know, we've all had good times and bad times in, in work. And, you know, I think no matter even how experienced you are, you can still make a bad call. Yeah. But, you know, as long as your bad call is founded in good reasons, I think everything can be, you know, worked there i suppose yeah but yeah i've had you know i've had good days and bad days that's for sure yes, well, we're, all, <laughs> still do. we're all
0: human still do yeah i um i had i think i also learned that actually the point you made was was absolutely bang on that people can forgive a lot in you if you're genuinely coming at it from a, a positive position yeah
1: I I see it all the time. I mean, I see people, and you know, again, you know, you can't predict for every single scenario, and you can't predict that you know a guest or a fellow employee is going to act or react. And so sometimes you're there, and you're just trying to make the best decision you can. But you know, if you're being yelled at, if you're being given a really odd situation, you're thinking, okay, what's the best decision to make? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So really, understanding the whole picture is the first step. And then, you know, a lot can be accomplished afterwards with training and coaching and guidance, right?
0: Yep. But, um, yeah, it's a yeah. funny I, world we live in. I had, um, in my the early part of my career, I was uh, pretty notorious at um, sleeping in. Yeah. Uh, this was back in the days before mobile phones as well. So it, it was a classic alarm clock mentality. And if I'd just pressed snooze one too many times, that was it. Yeah. Done. But I never got a verbal warning. I got, I suppose, an unofficial verbal warning for it on many occasions, but it was never officially made. And I think it was down to I hope it was down to the fact that the rest of the time I was pretty switched on.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I remember actually, you know, back when I was like a restaurant manager and, you know, back in the early days. Um actually buying employees uh, alarm clocks <laughs> saying you've got to show up for work here. I bought you an alarm clock get up, yeah. you know, things and all those. Now that I look back in it, I probably would never dream of doing that, you know, but at, back at the time, you know, it was all in the purpose of wanting to help somebody really. Yeah. It wasn't because you wanted to get them in trouble. You were just like, I need you, you know, and so let me help you. But
0: no. yeah, uh, yeah, I, I forgive I've a lot. Deep respect for, for the people who led me back then <laughs> in that way. Uh, as well, they certainly sent me down the right path instead of the wrong one. Yeah, I love it. um So, from your your extensive career so far, uh, do you have any mm. funny stories that you'd care to share with us? Oh, God. Um... I think I mean,
1: sure. I I always think of the the very first first one. So before I got into human resources, I was in finance. For a little while, um, which was great, you know, and I love the skills I learned there yeah. and I can utilize them today, you know, so even though it was definitely a job I did not like for sure. And I knew it wasn't going to make my long term path. But, you know, that's when I was given the opportunity to potentially go into HR and I was so excited about it and all that kind of stuff. And I thought my avenue in is through training because, you know, I like being in front of people and I can talk and all that kind of stuff. So I remember they gave me the shot to do the first orientation on my own and including the hotel tour. This was a little hotel I was working back in Canada. And so I was like super excited and I had like practiced for days and, you know, especially my tour and I had learned all this cool stuff about the hotel and I was going to like razzle and dazzle them, you know and, <laughs> you know, and all that good stuff. And so I'm doing the tour and I am showing them the fitness club and the pool. And so I'm talking about the pool and it had this like dome ceiling over it. And and I'm walking and I'm standing backwards and I fell in the pool. Oh, nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) I literally fell in the pool in front of like all these new recruits on their day one of orientation. Oh, my God. It was just the most hilarious thing. And I remember coming up from the water and like I had my head perched at like the side of the pool. And I think they couldn't tell if I was like crying or (laughs) laughing or whatever. Of course, I was dying. I was literally laughing. I couldn't get out of the pool because I was like so mortified. And then I ended up doing the next hour and a half of orientation in a bathrobe in housekeeping while they were drying my clothes. And I remember sitting there talking about it in my bathroom. And the general manager walks by housekeeping. He looks and he's like, what are you? doing and i was like just go just go i'm so horrified (laughs) but you know it made for obviously a great story and it became a bit legendary um in that hotel but um, it got me the job in the end anyway because i was dedicated to even continue in my road yeah but it it was a really funny time i have to say in that same hotel i'm a bit addicted to christmas as well right my favorite time of year you know i put up my christmas tree on the first of november (laughs) you know i'm um but at this hotel, we had this, um, you know, tradition of putting on the tree, you know, and it was a big deal. And they would invite media and clients. And, and that year, you know, I had, um, I had been a good employee. I had won manager of the year that year. So it was a good year for me. And they said, you know, Jenny, you've been so great this year. We know how much you love Christmas. We're going to let you put the star on the Christmas tree in front of all the press and clients thrilled i get up that damn ladder and don't i fall off the ladder and crash the whole tree down <laughs> literally in the lobby the tree smashed down. i'm literally on top of lying on top of the tree so yeah i've had some pretty memorable moments in my career. yeah fortunately over time i've gotten a little less clumsy but i yeah. i think it's uh,
0: it's definitely a recurring theme when i i ask that, yeah. that question Early on in my career, anyway.
1: Now I control myself a
0: little yeah, bit. Yeah, now you don't uh, don't uh, climb up ladders to put stars on trees. No, <laughs> I'll
1: never forget that. Oh my god! Anyway, good good times, good memories. Yeah.
0: There was something else actually on your your profile that I I saw from my my stalking experience was uh, the society of leadership fellows yeah talk to me about that because it's not something until i saw it on your profile that i was actually even familiar with
1: yeah you know i'll be honest with you it wasn't even something i was 100 percent familiar with i was contacted by them it's through st george's and windsor castle and it's a society of of um yeah i'm a member of this and i'm a, I'm a leadership fellow and basically the idea of it is that you know they're they're people who are you know strong in their field let's say and people that you know really add value and um we we come together actually through different courses mentoring uh, workshops all of that kind of stuff and really talk about business talk about how we operate our businesses share ideas um things along those lines and you actually Go to Windsor Castle and you do the sessions there and then there's an overnight program as well. Wow. Um, and yeah, I remember I was literally, um, I was recommended by somebody else to join it and I was contacted and um, a month later I was in, I was, a, I had become a fellow. So it was a wonderful thing and I went out there. Um, unfortunately, during this period, I'm not doing any, we're, you know, we're not running any sessions, but I was out there in uh, February. Um, was the last time I was out there, and I did a a, a session and a course on uh, how to be persuasive, actually, which was quite quite interesting. But I loved it because I was there with people from you know the charity world, uh, non not profit, the banking world, finance world. So it's a real mix of people, and there's just about three hundred of us as part of this group. So yeah, I felt really honored to be asked, and and it's it's really a great great group of people.
0: Great. No, it, it sounds from the outside looking in sounds really interesting. Oh, mm, it is great. Okay, Ed, what does? I mean, obviously, we're in a bit of a weird period at the moment um, with everything that's going on in the mm. world. Yeah. If you're listening to this in 2022, then this is right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm. I definitely don't want to make the shows about that, but it's obviously fairly relevant to the now. Yeah. But the way that I'm kind of handling this is is what. What does the future hold beyond this, if people can see beyond it for, for the moment? What's um, What have the, the Dorchester collection got in, in the pipeline?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely it's been a, a challenging time. You know, we've really, really understood the importance of our people. And, you know, we, we don't want to be that type of company that just talks about how people are important and how loyalty is important. So when this whole thing started, we immediately guaranteed everyone's jobs and salaries. So even with the furlough scheme, we're paying 100% of of, of the wages and things along those lines. So yep. for us, it was really important because you can't keep saying this and saying this to your guests and then you know doing the opposite when push comes to shove. So for us, it was really important. We've done this across the globe in all of our locations. So I think I think it's been really interesting because you know I, I do I think business will return. Yes. So I think we have a long road ahead of us. Absolutely. I think we're looking at a pre vaccine and post vaccine world, you know, and so, you know, how do these measures get put in place? I've been instrumental in, in being involved in looking at our new hygiene standards, looking at our standards of operation, the training, all of those kinds of things. And it's been fascinating to think how you can operate. I think the biggest mistake people are making at the moment is they're putting COVID 19 at the center of what's happening here, but that's the wrong way to look at it. Your guest has to remain, remain at the center. And what actions are you going to put in place that reflect what's happening in the world, but still ensure that the guest experience is protected? Yeah. And so we're spending a lot of time doing that. And that's the focus of our training for the eventual reopening sometime in July. I think it's going to be a long road ahead of us. I think, you know, I think the luxury world will recover a bit quicker than other parts of the industry. Yeah. Um, And those people who travel can, are still going to want to travel. And, but I think it'll be a slower version of it. We're very happy because at least people will come back to our hotels and see the same faces before this all started. Yeah. You know, and I think that's important and how you act in this situation is, is, is vital in my opinion.
0: And we're just here for the long haul
1: you know it is what
0: it is yeah i I couldn't agree more i think what you you said earlier on as well about the the two stories you gave me about the you know the guests and the experience with the individuals yeah i mean that's it's part of that isn't it that that, you know at least guests who are used to coming to your properties are are still going to have the same
1: yeah
0: the same people see and that's what people
1: are telling us Uh, you know our guests are saying to this you know we have we are in contact with a lot of our guests we you know we've We've written them personal letters, we're in contact with them, you know, at, at, at one of our hotels in, in America. We know that some of our guests are, you know, stuck at home and they can't travel. So, you know, on Instagram, we just posted a picture of, we have a post box inside this hotel. So we posted a picture of it and said, you know, if you want to hear from us or you're alone and you want to pen pal, contact us. We were inundated. So all of our employees are now pen pals to a lot of our guests. You know, that's the kind of thing that makes a difference in the long run, because, you know, it's about staying connected to people. And it's not just about when they arrive at the hotel and when they check in. How can we positively affect every aspect of their life? And I think this is going to be the difference in the future. I think it's what people want. I really do.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think um, there's definitely a, a, a desire for people to to get back to some degree of normality, it's just a question yeah. of what. I mean, I don't want to use the new normal because politicians use it, but yeah. um yeah, but it is hate it is what it's going to be.
1: Yeah, that's it. So, you know, I mean, it's just, but, 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 you know, I, I hope that this is a temporary. You know, may last a little longer than any of us wanted, and I think it's already lasted longer than anyone expected. Yeah. But it is what it is, and cases continue in different parts of the world, and I think it goes in waves and. We're having to deal with it everywhere. But um, we're also discovering that, you know, you have to address first the fear factor and the psychological part of it with guest traveling. Um, I think people already know when they come to our hotels that they're going to be clean and we're going to have the right standards in place. But it's so much bigger than that. It's the fear factor of even getting to the hotels, leaving your home, getting on an airplane, you know, whatever the case may be. But so you have to look at it as a much more global perspective.
0: Absolutely. Do you, this is a real question out of the out of the blue uh, but this is really unlike me i actually interview candidates like this as well so it's um it just keeps them on their toes because you never know what's, okay, going I agree on
1: what's ultimately important here
0: um <laughs> do you have a favorite hotel from within your portfolio
1: god yeah even if i did i wouldn't answer that so <laughs> <laughs> you're killing me here phil
0: no i was expecting I'm, that to be the answer you know, but i thought well, i yeah, just, I'd just try.
1: i will tell you my favorite country in the world is japan and we have no hotel there right and so there would be a dream for me to get a hotel there because i love i love um i love asia and i love Japan so um yeah. no i mean you know you go to different hotels you know even within our brand and or other brands because of the way they make you feel so when i'm in rome i'm i have an affinity to the city you know for family reasons for the food you know but then i go to beverly hills and i have affinity there because of the lifestyle i go to paris because of the shopping so you know you, you there's different reasons that you go to different places so it's never really, for me, about having a favourite. It's about how it they make me feel when I'm there. Good answer. Because I live in a place and I think, oh, that's the best place ever. And then I go to the next place and I think, oh, this is the best place ever. Yeah. So it's relative. And then, of course, when they do a bad job, then you also
0: know. <laughs> <Just> yeah. <laughs> well, it's all part of the experience, isn't it? I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another favourite question for you. Sure you mentioned earlier and i did see it on uh, in my research as well that you do like a scotch yeah i do what's your uh, what's your favorite brand oh i probably i'm
1: i'm simple from that perspective uh you know uh, probably an 18 year old glenn livet is just really lovely perfect way to cap an evening off or or whatever the case may be but you know i'm i'm pretty pretty open i was lucky enough to do a bit of a scotch tour in japan and then i did one through scotland as well and I'm gonna admit I enjoyed it all yeah. um, for different reasons. You know, obviously you prefer some over the other, but to me it's like the experience that you get. You know, it's not a, a drink that you can drink a lot of. Well, I suppose you could, but I don't think you would remember much and enjoy it. But it's the kind of thing you go where you just you know, you taste it, you enjoy it, you savor it, you know that kind of thing. And that's the type of reaction I like to have, and that's the kind of environment. Um, I'm not a big drinker. It's really the only thing that I would drink, and um, it is very much this idea of, of um, yeah, it reminds me. uh, You know, it reminds me of when I was younger, when I got introduced to scotch, my friends at the time, my family, and um, so it's it's an emotional reaction to it, which is probably what makes me love it so much.
0: You you can probably hear in my accent that I (laughs) hail from a place renowned for for generating um and developing reasonable scotch uh, nice. but the reality is and I, at the risk of alienating an entire country to myself i absolutely hate the stuff
1: <laughs> well then it's been really nice talking to you so um
0: <laughs> maybe you yeah, just I, haven't had
1: the right glass I
0: no and I, right I, I do keep i do keep trying just to see if my palate's developing but cool. um all in good time. No,
1: I, I love it. I have to say it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, like I said, it's an emotional reaction for me. So I enjoy it. yeah.
0: Yeah. If you have too many, I'm, I'm sure that the emotional reaction is yeah. um, even and, greater. And and if you
1: do, then you've ruined the experience because that's not really yeah. what it's about. In my
0: opinion. No, absolutely. I think uh, actually, um, that's something that my, my French colleagues taught me was wine.
1: Yes, exactly. I'm not a huge wine fan to be honest with you, but yeah, I do like it in, in moderation. And, uh, accompanied by the right food, but just to sit down and have a glass of wine after work is not my thing.
0: Right. Very good. We'll move on. Oh, so if somebody was in front of you today who was considering a, a career in hospitality and specifically within the, the luxury field, hmm. what would you, you say to them as a, as a piece of advice?
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, I would say go for it. But, you know, for me, it's very much about you have to really have a passion for it. You have to really enjoy it. You know, within the luxury world, there's a huge expectation on service delivery, on product standards, on look, feel, experience, all of those kinds of things. And you have to genuinely want to have or have this desire within you to want to create that type of experience because, as I said, expectations are so high. Um, But if you have that and it's really enjoyable, definitely go for it. And I would say this to everyone, no matter what kind of role and what kind of level in hospitality is, just don't be afraid to take risks as well. You know, I think to myself, you know, I started as a room attendant and then I went from, you know, there to food and beverage to front office. I was even in engineering for a while. I went into finance. I went into HR, you know, and all of those things made me who I am today all of those got me to understand a different part of the business. I was the first person when they said, hey, we need somebody to go to Japan. I went to Japan. Hey, we need somebody to move to San Francisco. I went to San Francisco. You know, it's one of those things where if you're going to commit, commit and uh, really enjoy it because the ultimate outcome can be so great and so much bigger than you imagined it would be. Um, But you know, it's a roller coaster hospitality. You know, not only from a business perspective, but the emotions you have because, again, you know, anytime you're in a people business, you're dealing with people's emotions. And unlike other industries that maybe work from nine to five, we're twenty four seven. Yeah. You know, three six five. So it's very much this, you know, non stop. We don't. I mean, most of our hotels, even when we had to close them, we didn't even have locks on the doors. You know, because you don't lock a hotel right? It's always open. You know, you may have security, but it's always the idea of coming in and being a social gathering place. So understanding that that's the business we're in um, and you have to really be committed to it. Yeah. If you want to move up and succeed. Yeah. If you want just a job, that's a different story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What uh, what piece of advice would you give yourself if you were starting over again?
1: Yeah, I probably... um, you know, I did take a lot of risks, so I wouldn't I wouldn't worry so much about that. I probably would be um, maybe have been been a bit more patient. You know, I was so keen to like want to always move and get promoted and or and, you know, grow that maybe, you know, even though I did have a lot of fun along the way, for sure. Um, I didn't really have as much fun as I did until I got into like senior management when I could like breathe a little bit more because I was so focused on my career. And maybe if I had just, you know, enjoyed the ride a little bit more, that would have been fun, too. But of course, I have no regrets. I don't believe in regrets anyway. But I I have no regrets because, you know, I've been able to make a wonderful career out of it and have made so many friends, not just locally, but all around the world. And, you know, you can't you can't imagine what a wonderful feeling that is when you travel and when you get to hear from them and see them. So,
0: yeah. Great stuff. Yeah. So if, if people want to get in touch to pick your brains about you or your, your life or the Dorchester collection, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um uh no, listen, from my perspective, yeah. I mean you can follow me on Twitter, you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, you can go onto the website. Um, you know, I'm always trying to post different things, so you know, anything like that. But I'm pretty easygoing. So I do get a lot of emails and a lot of messages on LinkedIn and, and all that kind of stuff. So just give me time. Um, but yeah, happy to, happy to engage, you know, based on the question, I yes. guess. <laughs> I get some weird yeah. questions too. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Those those,
0: uh, those pesky people were trying to get podcast interviews with you. That's um... You
1: know, they're really the worst. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great stuff. Well, thank you very much. It's been a, a real pleasure to to chat. Oh. Uh, yeah, me. I
1: really enjoyed it. Thank you, Phil. And uh, it was nice. You took me down a bit of memory lane, which was, uh, and I think I don't get to do much of nowadays with the world we're living in. But uh, so thank you. I really appreciated it. And uh, thank you to everyone who's chosen to listen.
0: Very good. Thank you very much, Eugenio Pili. Thank you. Thank again soon. Cheers. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And there we have it, a wonderful chat with Eugenio showing great humour and humility in spite of his senior standing. Make sure you buy him a scotch when you see him next. Tune in again next week for more stories and anecdotes from the world of hospitality and don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.